The following is a production by Cutting to the Chase podcast. Jeff Young, what is up? What is happening over there in Cali? Oh, not much, man. It's uh, it's really hot over here. It's like 90 plus degrees and we're just sitting in the air conditioned house right now and it's, uh, it's actually kind of nice. Yeah, we're both watching the Braves Dodgers or I assume you're, you've been watching this game, right? Yeah, I'm watching the TV right behind you right now. <laughs> yeah, I think you might have a better view than I do. So going back to before the season ever got started, we didn't even know if there would be a baseball season, how they would manage it, yeah. how it would work. I knew, I think we knew that the COVID aspect would be there similar to the NFL right now, but I figured yeah. the bubble was something that they would need for the playoffs. But what's been your thoughts in terms of how it's all playing out? Yeah, I mean, it was surprising we even had a season to uh, to watch. So that was, that was, a, that was a good sign. Um, I guess my expectation was the there would be more COVID cases throughout the throughout the year, but that didn't really uh, happen. There was a couple of blips with the Cardinals and the Marlins, but for the most part, it was pretty. Uh, it was kind of a kind of a minor issue, uh, which was good to see. Which means teams were you know following the protocols as they should have been. But yeah, I was I was surprised how well contained Major League Baseball you know contained uh, COVID. Definitely. Yeah. Even with the NFL, as I was saying, cases are popping up, which seems inevitable. But, you know, I go back to March, April, I was binging Shark Tank on Hulu because I was bored and there's nothing else on. (laughs) So it's nice to have a sense of normalcy and, you know, with quotes around that, even though there's, you know, no fans or a few fans at these games now. And then the NBA and the NHL are over when it seems like, you know, they, they should be playing right now. So that's kind of weird. But, yeah. you know, looking at these baseball playoffs, what are your thoughts on these teams? I I think it would be weirder, weirder if a team like the Marlins got in over 162. But since it was a shortened 60, it seemed like something random like that would happen. Yeah. And I was thinking teams like the A's would be a threat, but they flamed out like they always do. The Yankees <laughs> are hit and miss. So what are your thoughts on the playoff format in these teams? Yeah, I mean, I like the, you know, I, I'm kind of an old school guy. So whenever they make any rule changes to baseball i'm always against it like the designated hitter i was like no that's that's a terrible idea but after you know seeing it play out i'm like well the designated hitter was actually kind of nice to watch i guess especially for the giants since they hit pretty well on but uh, i guess in terms of the uh, playoff format i wasn't a fan of how big the uh, playoffs were i mean i i understand that they needed to expand the the playoff system for this season to kind of like drum up some interest in baseball, even even if it was going to be a shortened season. Um, I'd like to see it kind of go back to the way it was previously, where there were four playoff teams, and then they had that uh, one playing game for the uh, for the wildcard teams, because, that, I mean, it really becomes special. Like, I, I don't know, I, I, I didn't like seeing the, uh, the White Sox and the Twins getting knocked out in a three-game series in the first round. Uh, that, that wasn't enjoyable to watch, because they, they both have really talented teams, and it kind of felt like, we kind of lost an opportunity to see more of like uh, Tim Anderson and, and everyone on that team kind of play in the playoffs on the big stage. Hopefully it goes back, but uh, I liked it for this year. It was cool uh, how they've done it. And it's been, you know, it's been fun to watch. I agree. I'm kind of the same way with the old school. You know, I'm about to be 32 and you're about 30 also, right? Something like that. So I feel the same way. 
I fall in a line. I fall in line a bit with the traditionalists, even with the intentional walk. I didn't want to just, you know, put the fingers up. I, but you know, I don't care about that now. I'm okay with the DH, even though I liked the uniqueness of the American League having it and the National League not. Yeah. Um, but I'm not a fan of the extra innings rule for the three batter minimum. I'm not a fan of it. And I kind of forget about it, though. I, I don't know if it really comes into play that much. And I get that it's not the most fun to watch. Pitching changes every five minutes. But what were your thoughts with that? Uh, yeah, I wasn't a fan of the uh, three batter minimum. Um, uh, I do like the strategy that goes into, you know, setting up the matchups. I mean, I've been watching Bruce Bochy manage uh, for years. And now we're, now we're seeing Gabe Kapler. And I, I think with the three batter minimum, there was a little bit of an adjustment period. I think it was just hard, really early on, especially with the kind of quick reboots that they had to the season. Um, and given the fact that starters hadn't been able to ramp up, I think bullpen arms were really exposed to that three batter minimum earlier in the year because they, I, I feel like they had been overworked a little bit and I, I just feel like it was tough on the managers, but uh, kind of watching Kapler uh, manage as the season wore on, I think he and maybe the rest of baseball uh, may have, may have adjusted to that role a little better. Um, as you know, pitchers' arm strengths built up, and and everyone was kind of, you know, up to speed midway through the season. But still, wasn't a family role. But I, I get it. People don't like pitching changes every five minutes. It's not the most exciting. Kind of my compromise would be to. I, I know we're not doing expanded rosters anymore in September, but my compromise would have been fine due to three batter minimum in September with expanded rosters, and then just kind of let it play out throughout the rest of the season and, and allow managers to kind of manage the way they want to. But it sounds like the uh, three-bounder minimum is probably here Tuesday. Um, I didn't mind, like I said, I didn't mind the DH at all. Um, even though the Giants and, and it sounds like the Cubs struggled to get any production out of the DH, so it was kind of like the pitcher was still hitting this year. I think uh, the Giants designated hitters batted like under 200. And then um, the the second base rule and extra innings. I mean, it reminds me of like, <laughs> reminds me of like a softball extra innings rule um, where you, you start a runner at second base and it's just, it, it doesn't feel like real baseball. Yep. I get that 2020 is weird and that they had to do what they had to do. Hopefully they get back to normal. I know the DH is here to stay, but you know, watching Rob Manfred, I know the joke is he's not a fan of the sport. It seems like he's alienating the, the actual fan base while trying to appease to those that aren't fans to begin with. But in general, it's at least, you know, playing out without any issues, even though it's weird seeing random neutral sites for the playoffs. Yeah, I feel like uh, Manfred's kind of focus group for making these changes are people who don't like baseball. So I'm kind of curious what is the data and the support that like guides his decision making because it just doesn't feel like some of these changes are needed but I, I get it he's trying yeah. to speed up the game and it just gets to a point where it's kind of at times a little too gimmicky uh for me but you know it's baseball at the end of the day and i you know I'll always enjoy kind of watching it and, and unless they make you know bat flips uh perfectly acceptable at that point i'll just throw up my arms and kind of give up but that's just me being kind of an old school person um so <laughs> are you not a fan of the uh the bat flips i'm not a fan of the bat flips i uh i don't know what it is about it i, I played baseball for years I would, but I, I should point this out I, I played baseball for a while but i was never good enough to flip a bat so there might be like some inherent jealousy there because i was never cool enough to do it i was like a slap hitter who'd hit the ball the other way and try to steal second and try to tag out to third and all that stuff but um so there, there's probably, there's definitely some jealousy there. 
Uh, I don't know. I just don't like watching it, but I get it. Uh, people enjoy watching it, and it's probably going to be here to stay. So I'm fighting kind of an uphill battle. And, you know, if I'm the last one to, to be on that hill, then, you know, that's fine by me. Uh, yeah, I totally get what you're saying. I mean, I, I don't mind the bad flips. And it, it kind of reminds me of like in the NFL when, you know, wide receiver scores or someone scores in the end zone and they're dancing. Yeah. And it's like, well, if you don't like it, don't let them score. They won't dance. But I totally get what you're saying. All right. So I've definitely been rooting for the Braves in this series against LA. I know you have, obviously. Uh, and I've been rooting for Tampa Bay. There was actually an article, I think, put out by SB Nation that said the Rays aren't fun to watch. They're boring. I actually do think they are fun to watch. And you add on, you know, the small payroll. They just play the game in an interesting way to me. Uh, but Houston has shifted momentum as they force game seven. I do think it'd be funny if they did meet up with LA and beat them again. Yeah. Yeah. Good thing with the uh, expanded playoffs, right? They're, they're one of the teams that have benefited from just being able to snake in. I don't have a legit hatred for the Dodgers and you're a Giants fan. So you do have a legit reason to hate them. But to me, it could be San Diego, just a team that, you know, is great every year and falls short. So as a Cubs fan, it's like even though the window's closed, it's kind of funny to watch a team like the Dodgers who are great but still can't cash it in. So, you know, at least the Cubs have that ring. So, you know, it's not really a Dodgers thing as much as, you know, it's just fun to watch, I guess, a a mighty superior team or at least in the regular season, you know. So for now, the Cubs still kind of have that ring over them. You know, I, I, I am a I am a Giants fan, so obviously... I, I hate the Dodgers. I don't know if I dislike the Dodgers, the current roster, now more than I did like 20 years ago. Like if I saw Mike Piazza step up to the plate, I would just like, I, I would have to like hold in vomiting. Like that's that's kind of what I thought of when I saw him every time. But, you know, it, it does get in a way kind of sad that the Dodgers keep being the best team in baseball or one of the best teams in baseball and keep kind of, uh, blow, finding a way to blow it one way or the other, whether it's, you know, this or that that's going on um, with the other team. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it would be kind of funny if the Astros did beat them legit this time. And, uh, yeah, it, it, I don't know. I was thinking uh, the other day, actually, about Clayton Kershaw's legacy. I mean, obviously, he's going to go down as one of the greatest pitchers in history. But uh, I'm starting to wonder if, like, if he is ever going to get that ring. I mean, maybe maybe they get to the World Series and win it this year, 31-32 at this point. It, it doesn't hurt his legacy, but it's, like, one of those things that really kind of kind of sticks out. I mean, he struggled so so badly in the playoffs over the years. I think he, had, he has, like, a 4.31 playoff ERA right now, which is, like, the highest ERA for a minimum of somebody with 100-plus innings. The playoffs, which you know, it's it's good that you have a team that's able to get to the playoffs as consistently as they have made it. You know, I just I, I kind of feel like bad watching them get rocked the other night, to be honest. Yeah, I think it was after the 17th season. Kershaw said he might retire if the Dodgers won at all, and obviously they lost to Houston. But yeah, he's 32, and so that was a few years ago. And he'll go to the Hall of Fame, obviously. But you know, it reminds me of Verlander. He's local to Virginia. I'm a fan of him. Yeah, of course. Now I can't really look at the ring he got with Houston the same way, and now he's got Tommy John, so he's close to being done probably. But yeah, uh, if the Dodgers did win, I can be happy for a guy like Kershaw. Yeah, I, I mean they do, they do have some likable guys on their team. They also have some really unlikable guys like Ma- Max Muncie stands out. I, I I don't have a good reason to dislike Justin Turner, but. I don't know. He kicks the crap out of the Giants every time he plays. And I'm like, dude, what, <laughs> what did they do to you? 
but the, the rest of them, like Bellinger, Seager, like Kershaw, like I, I don't really bets. I mean, I don't really have a reason to not like these guys other than the fact that they play for the Dodgers and that's the worst thing you could possibly do. So how did you like the Gabe Kapler hiring for the Giants? I know there was some controversy around his hiring among Giants fans. Yeah, um, they Kapler anxiety and, and kind of the Dodgers as a whole didn't handle a I think it was a domestic violence uh, situation. Uh, as well as they should have and and you know for i mean they they should have handled it better uh, they they knew pretty much at his press conference when he was hired it was really an, a kind of an awkward thing to to watch uh because that was the topic of discussion i mean not not the fact that Kapler was coming in but the fact that they didn't handle that situation uh, several years ago as well as they should have you know going into it i tried to keep an open mind i did do some research and tried tried to see kind of what like manager he was and and my kind of take initially was that he kind of had this like laces fair approach to managing the clubhouse where he, he just kind of let people the uh some Phillies players kind of uh do their own thing and there there wasn't really a whole lot of accountability um and and as soon as he came in he said he was going to focus on keeping the players accountable and I thought that was kind of an interesting thing for him to say, because he really hadn't proven that he could kind of hold a clubhouse accountable um, at that time. Uh, but I thought he, you know, I, I kept an open mind and I thought he got better as the season wore on. And uh, some of the coaches he brought in, like specifically the hitting coaches, uh, a lot of the Giants hitters gave those guys a lot of credit for their uh, offensive turnaround this year. I know Brandon Belt, uh, Evan Longoria, Brandon Crawford, they all had some very positive things to say about the hitting coaches. The, the hitting coach is kind of like a for for the Giants. It's kind of like a political position in that they aren't able to hit, and the blame always goes to the hitting coach, of course. So it's like the economy. If you're you know, if the economy is tanking, then you know your congressman or woman is you know is in trouble. But yeah, I mean, overall, I think Kapler did well this year. Um, he just you know he brought in a lot of really inexperienced managers or um, coaches. I thought there was a lot of risk uh, inherent with that, but uh, they, I mean, they obviously did well. A lot of the players got better as the season were on. And I think that's uh, kind of a testament to the people that Kepler brought in. Uh, his his in-game management uh, started out kind of rough with, um, especially with adjusting to the three, three batter minimum. There, there were some questionable bullpen decisions he made throughout the year, but he also, you know, didn't have the best bullpen to work with. I mean, the guys that they had in there were really inexperienced guys that they got off the waiver wire, you know, minor league free agent signings. And then Tony Watson was the one veteran that they truly had. But yeah, he, I, I thought he got better as the season wore on. You know, I, I wasn't as paying as close of attention to his work in Philadelphia as I should have been because I didn't wasn't sure if he was going to be a candidate or fired or whatever. Um, but it, it did sound like the Philadelphia media was a little kind of harsh on him uh, during his tenure. Um, and, you know, we saw this year, they continued to struggle even with Kapler gone and they had a much more experienced manager and Joe Jardy. And, you know, they still have the same bullpen issues that they've had for years. So, you know, I, I, I think in, in total, this was a positive season for, for Kapler. I know they were kind of in the mix throughout the season till the end, really. Uh, for the playoff race, and I don't know if I if it would have evened out over 162, but where do you see this Giants team going in the next season? Are they ready to be in that playoff conversation? 
Um, are we assuming that there's only going to be four or five playoff teams or eight again? Oh, uh, well, let's say 162, but expanded playoffs. I know that helps them, but they were going through that retooling phase. Of course, you have the offseason to go, but you know, what are your thoughts with this team? Yeah, I, I mean, they're still in the process of making kind of smart baseball decisions. They're, I don't know if the rebuild is over yet. And, and this season was kind of hard to evaluate because they did so well against uh, under 500 teams, but they also played the the uh, Padres and the Dodgers, like, I think seven games apiece this year. So about 25% of their games were against like two really good teams. You know, the talent gap between the two teams was pretty substantial uh, when you watch them play. Uh, so I think they're still kind of, you know, middle of the pack, but they're on an upward swing, I would say. Uh, I don't know if they're going to be a playoff team next year, although if they are and, you know, we, we circle back on this, I'm sure we'll laugh at it. I think they're just still in the process of kind of strengthening their roster for when some of their key younger guys make their way up. And it could start to happen next year with some of their guys. I know Elia Ramos is coming up soon, Sean Jelly. And his six foot eleven frame is on his way. Seth Corey could be up soon, maybe not next year, but the year after that. And then uh, Marco Luciano's kind of their their prized prospect. I mean, he might be one of the top prospects in baseball within a year. So I think they're they're still swinging upwards, but they're not. The, the competitive window hasn't necessarily opened yet because I don't think that they're. Uh, playoff team just yet so when i was interning with the green jackets in 2016 logan webb was one of the pitchers and now he's with the giants is he a guy that's a piece of the rotation bullpen what's the vibe on him uh it seems like they want him to be a a starter um he really i mean i I was hoping he would kind of build off of last year you know last year he uh was was his uh, rookie season i think he finished the season off really strong and i was hoping he would like build off of that strong finish it didn't happen this year. Um, it seemed like he was kind of always pitching with runners on base. He, he kind of struggled with his command. He did do a couple of things well. I know he uh, had a really high ground ball rate for what it's worth. Um, so people weren't able to lift and separate. I think it was over 50%. And so people weren't, or hitters weren't able to lift and separate against him. Um, I, I do think that the Giants do see him as a starter. Yeah, I think he's... But hopefully next year is is another step forward for him. I saw this article about Buster Posey just now, and you probably saw it. It's an article from the Chronicle a few days ago. It was a mailbag, but the title was Buster Posey's 2021 role in Hall of Fame chances, both uncertain. In my mind, he was an obvious Hall of Famer. He is, right? Um, I, I feel like for years he was kind of on a Hall of Fame trajectory. And then he's, he's battled injury issues over the past couple of years, so... I don't know. I, it's kind of hard to say. We we have these questions or we have these discussions all the time on Twitter and wherever. And I don't know if somebody is a Hall of Famer until – I mean, I, we know some guys are Hall of Famers. We know Clay and Kershaw is a Hall of Famer. But sometimes you just kind of have to wait and see how the player's career finishes and see where they're at stat-wise because that's kind of what drives it, right? I, I, I am really interested to see how Posey kind of – works with the new hitting coaches um, and the fact that he's, you know, now over two years removed from having that uh, really bad hip surgery he had a few years ago. Um, so if he puts together a couple more strong seasons, I, I think he still has a chance to make it. I mean, you look at his resume, he's 
like a six or seven time All Star, three time World Series champ, all, all that good stuff. MVP, Rookie of the Year. You know, he 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 has a chance uh, still to be a Hall of Famer. And he opted out this year, so maybe that makes it tougher trying to get back into that grind next season. Maybe it helps him less mileage, more recovery time. Yeah, I I think that could help. I mean, the last time we saw him was in 2019. And 2018, the end of 2018 was when he had that surgery. And I think the projected recovery time was like six to nine months. Um, and he came back pretty quickly within six months. So I don't think he had like a fully normal offseason. And I, you know, I've always said that baseball players are creatures of, of uh, habit. So when you kind of don't have that development time, that ability to like really focus on uh, getting better. Uh, whereas he was focusing on just, you know, recovering and being healthy. I, I think you, you kind of, um, you're not able to uh, bounce back as well as you can. So I, I think, uh, you know, the extra time off should help him. Um, he's, he looked really good in spring training this year for the few at-bats that we saw. He looked healthy. He was turning on pitches, um, which is something we, we really didn't see in uh, 2019. He really, um, and, and at the end of 2018 too, he was, starting to look more like a, a kind of a slap hitter because he couldn't get his lower half into the swing. That looked like it was an issue that had gone away by the time we saw him in 2020. So you're on Twitter. People can follow you at BaseballJeff1. You're also the site expert for fan sites around the Foghorn. How long have you been writing for them? Uh, like three years now. Yeah, nice. It's, I, I like writing. I like baseball. I like the Giants. So just felt like it was a, kind of a good spot to try and get my feet wet. I mean, for me, like my, my day job is accounting. So this is just kind of a hobby for me. Um, I like it. Uh, I like interacting with everyone and writing and kind of researching baseball stuff. Um, so for me, it's not like I'm not joining an athletic anytime soon or anything like that. So, um, I, I enjoy doing this. Did you write anywhere before there or was it your first stop? Uh, first stop first and probably only stop to be honest. (laughs) Yeah. So how did you decide? Now, you said you liked writing, but for me, it was pretty random. I didn't think I'd get into writing or podcasting or any of that stuff. It was 2015, actually, and I was trying to get a job in sports. I was working at State Farm. It sucked. (laughs) I had the Flying Squirrels internship in 2013. So I was trying to get back into sports. I was looking online, trying to find ways to get creative. And I came across this website called Work in Sports, where it was like, write about your internship or a similar experience in sports. And it was kind of an overnight thing after I wrote that article, kind of just talking about my internship. I basically caught that writing bug soon after. So I started looking for websites online to write for, and I came across this obscure website called Ransports.com. And someone I knew, uh, we both went to college, the, the same college, and kind of randomly, we, we followed the other's footsteps. He started writing for them soon after I did, then he went to Fansighted, and so did I. And then we were both at SB Nation, but... But he was telling me uh, recently that Rand Sports wasn't even a thing anymore. But the thing is, they actually paid us, which you never really find. It's hard to find websites to write for that pay you. Yeah, seriously. And, you know, no one really knew what Rand Sports was, but they paid. So it was a nice little bit too, but that's besides the point. I started writing after my Flying Squirrels internship and it was like, uh, I want to write now. But for you, did you just have to apply with Fansighted or how did you get involved there? Yeah, pretty much um, the... Uh, the side expert for around the Falkhorn at the time, he, you know, saw all the posts I had about the giants and I guess it was grammatically correct enough to want me to join. So, um, that was like three years ago and, and, uh, you know, I've enjoyed writing about the giants ever since. Um, 
So pretty, pretty much the side expert, Daniel is his name. He reached out to me and uh, that was it. Yeah, I was writing for uh, Cubby's Crib a couple of times. I had their site expert, Jacob Meisner, on actually Lee, the last pod that I did. And we were talking about the Cubs, their issues. Uh, you know, they've been through their number of hitting coaches. The offense was, you know, that team was so good, elite, historic levels in 2016, and it's just gone downhill since. And now Bryant and Baez are coming off horrible years. And I get whether you chalk up the pandemic or no video in the dugout, but it's just been going backwards for a few years now. Kind of, uh, it kind of reminds me of um, in the mid 2000s, the San Francisco 49ers offensive coordinators basically every year because you know if the offense isn't performing the coordinator is the first person to go that's kind of how it is with hitting coaches i i know they've cycled through some hitting coaches i'm curious what your thoughts are on uh kind of what the issue is i mean i know they i know chris bryant's been injured i know javi bias didn't have the video to go off of but i don't know i just i, I don't watch them enough to know like if i like i watch the giants enough to you know i've seen them not hit well for years and to me it's like oh well they're not hitting well because they're not doing x y and z right so i'm just curious what your and what your thoughts are on that so going back to 2016 they win the world series they have a really good offense chris bryant looked like i mean i know at that point it's two seasons but you know rookie of the year coming off the mvp and while mike trout was the best player in the game bryant looked like he was going to be a top five player so you figure you know chris bryant's entering his prime you have rizzo schwarber of course Baez was just hitting what we had seen now the last few years, the MVP runner-up seasons. But anyway, 2017, they're defending the title. It's a bit of a slow start, but I give them the benefit of the doubt. They had proven themselves, you know, it's like let them find their way. You have the hangover, this, that. You can call them, you know, excuses, but just give them the benefit of the doubt. And, you know, it's one thing for fans to give the benefit of the doubt, but the front office has kind of seemingly done that. And when you're Theo and Jed, you're the smartest guys in the room. You know, going back to 17, it seemed like there'd be a bit of a shakeup at some point. And they kept sticking with that core. And it seems like they were trying to hold on to 2016 or that one moment just too long. And they bring in Chili Davis and the offense just, you know, in 2017, they get off to the iffy start before they found their way. And then it was like, okay, here we go. So 17, you know, I chalked that up to a pretty good season. They still got to the NLCS, but... Going into 18, it was kind of like, okay, now they're starting over, getting back into that, you know. They get Darvish, you know, Madden goes, this is the best rotation I've I've had. But that's when we really started to see the decline. The offense just was not getting back to what we expected. Schwarber was, you know, had struggled in 17. Bryant took that ball to the head, and yeah. I go back to that. I know it's the shoulder ailment and other injuries he's had, but to me, he hasn't been right since he took that ball to the head. And one thing I always ask about is the injuries. It seems like this team always mismanages injuries. You know, why did you let it linger and linger when we could have, you know, we find out later how bad an yeah. injury was for a player. And even going back to the Jim Hendry days, you know, it just seems like they've always kind of mismanaged these injuries. You know, guys like Rizzo are fine. He's probably their best player. Brian and Baez, I don't know. And even if the lack of video is a valid reason, you know, Ian Happ had a great year. Jason Hayward was one of their best offensive players. Yeah, Other players had to adjust. So while it affected a guy like Bias, maybe it's like, what about the other guys who didn't have video and played well? So <laughs> I wish I knew what was up with the offense. It seems like all they do is strike out or hit a bunch of home runs. If they score 10 one night, you can bank on two runs or less the next four games. So it's all or nothing. They can't get, you know, they can't get guys on and over. 
they had John Maley as their hitting coach, and he was the guy in 2016, and they haven't been able to get it right since. And I don't think I don't think it is a hitting coach at this point anymore because they've been through so many. I think it's the players. They've you know this is what they've been for a while now. We saw what they were in 15, 16, and 17 a little bit, and we thought they were going to be elite. But instead, what we've seen is what they are now, and it's just been an underachieving offense. So I don't know what they're going to do. The owner doesn't want to spend more money. They do have a high payroll. Lots of questions, and you can't fix this with Daniel Descalso type signings. So I don't know. Yeah, they're they're a, they're a funny not not a funny team, but they're an interesting team to watch because I think back in 2016 or maybe even 15 when that window started to open up, you expected that they'd probably win maybe more than one ring. Doesn't I, I'm not sure if that's going to happen now because I know their key guys are free agents at the end of yeah. next year. I think it's yeah Bryant and Baez. Bryant and Baez isn't a Rizzo also free agent and Rizzo soon too. Yeah, so it's, that's going to be an interesting. Uh, that's going to be a really interesting offseason. Who do you think they'll uh, they'll keep? Good question. So going into the season, I thought Bryant might be the one they would try to trade because he's a Boris client. But yeah. you know, he and Bias are both coming off horrible seasons now. Their stock isn't going to be as good as it was. So you know, how do you resign either one of them to long term yeah. deals right now? So it's a good question. I have no idea. And Theo, so and Theo is going to be gone soon, as he's already stated on the record. You know, he's ten years is like the max for him with one team. And I like Jed. I like Theo, but I think it's probably time for a shakeup somewhere. The front office is missed here or there. Darvish, you know, it's a good signing now. But you look at these other teams, like the Padres, the White Sox, and of course, the World Series is what matters. But you yeah. know, maybe those guys aren't the smartest guys anymore. And it's easier to say. You know, right now, everyone just gets their blame for the way things have gone with this team over the last yeah. few years. Yeah, hopefully they don't go down the uh, Giants path when where they're just like miserable to watch in a couple of years. Um, hopefully they avoid that. But, you know, it's really hard to it's hard to say when a team needs to kind of make a shakeup, especially when you have a strong core like they had uh, together. So, I, I mean, even though, you know, they could have made a trade for they could have traded Brian a couple of years ago. It's still kind of hard to make that that call to rebuild or retool, whatever you want to call it. Because I, I mean, you you really, you know, you say this is your core, and that's what you tell your team. And and once you trade away from that, I think it takes something away from that chemistry. Now you're a Niners fan, so I have to ask you, what do you think about the four three or the three four defense? <laughs> I don't even know, man. If you ask me, if you ask me, like what the role of the Nickelback is, I I don't, I mean, I don't even know what that is. Um, I, I, I mean, I follow football. I'm a fan of it. I can't tell you anything about the strategy that goes into it. Um, I, I think you know teams should consider completing passes more frequently than they have in the past. But that's just my very unbiased uh, opinion. Yeah, it seems like X team should just score more than the other team, and it's all going to be fine, right? It's easy. I, I mean, it's really that simple on paper. I, I don't know why we have to complicate it. So, but yeah. So, what do you think about the Niners? They've had some weird losses. I know they've had injuries. Yeah. They lost Garoppolo, and he got pulled his last start against Miami, right? Yeah, he was still uh, kind of having an issue with that ankle injury. He sustained a couple weeks ago. I think he's a full go this week. You know, with all the injuries they've had, and they, you know, they went deep into the playoffs last year losing the super bowl is pretty tough especially in the last five minutes um i I don't know it just feels like there's there's a lot missing with this team just in terms of the fact that like nick bosa isn't out there right now richard sherman is out there they're missing a lot of players 
to injury. So it just kind of feels like that magic just isn't there this year. And it's weird to say because, you know, before the season, they were a favorite, you know, a favorite pick to win the West, be a playoff team at least, maybe go to the Super Bowl. Yeah. I think the one constant was a lot of people thought the NFC West would be the toughest, you know, the best division. Seattle's 5-0. and The Rams are on a rebound. Cards are just getting started, but they're 3-2. and And the Niners are in last place. But it is early. They're two and three, but are guys coming back from injuries soon? Yeah, Bosa's not coming back. Uh, they've been kind of hush-hush about the Sherman injury. Um, he just like kind of discreetly was was sent to the IR a couple weeks ago, and no one really knew why because he wasn't on any injury report. And then I think this past week, they, they uh, the Niners came out and said that he was going to be out sooner or later than expected. So I, I don't know. Uh, it's, you know... Hopefully they go in and and find a way to sneak into the playoffs. But I think, you know, after going two and three, that's that's almost kind of a best case situation right now. Yeah, if you're in the NFL and go one and three or zero oh and three, it's like you have no shot at the playoffs. But oh yeah, yeah, the expanded playoffs should help. But another common theme there, it seems, you know, teams that go to the Super Bowl and then struggle the next year, which I think is a bit of a coincidence. But I think there's something to it. Now, in the Niners' case, I know it's the injuries, but they're still a stacked team. Yeah. Well, uh, I think baseball competitive windows are normally when you when you put the right team out there, that window can be open for several years. But but in football, man, it, it really uh, it's really a small window. So maybe maybe it opened and closed last year. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. We'll have to see how they look when Nick Bosa comes back next year. But I think this is probably a gap year for them uh, this year, to be honest. Kind of like what the Warriors went through. If your key guys are injured, you know, you're it's really hard to come back from that. And talking about the Warriors, like you said, they lose their top guys, they have no shot. But also, you know, when they're healthy, there's no reason why the Warriors can't, you know, they won't be challenging the Lakers for the top spot in the West. Oh yeah, I hope so. I mean, uh no no one hated seeing the Lakers win more than me, but uh you know, they they were the best team in NBA this year. Um I, I think it's, I mean, it's really going to be interesting to see what the Warriors do in the offseason because they still have the core intact top pick coming up uh, next month. And they, you know, they have some flexibility to make some moves. They, they really just need to build some depth. Um, I think they're pretty light on uh, point guard uh, right now. I, they're also pretty light at the center position. They need, you know, they, they really just need to rebuild that second unit because the first unit, for the most part, it's spoken for. And that's, you know, that's what's going to get to, to the playoffs again. So I, th- this is going to be an interesting few months for the Warriors coming up. Uh, if they hit on that, that draft pick, this window might stay open for another couple of years. You know, if there's a, if they take on a project that takes a couple of years to fully develop, I mean, I, it might have closed already. You know the team more than I do. But yeah, when you have Steph, Clay, Draymond, I figure as long as they're all healthy, they should be one of the top teams. So on your Twitter, it says you're a Sharks fan, but are you a big hockey fan? Do you do you follow the Sharks much? Uh, growing up, I was. Um, I used to love watching the the Sharks play. My dad and I would watch it every night, and uh, I was a huge Sharks fan. And I'd always get excited for the playoffs. And anyone who's been a Sharks fan knows it's never a good idea to get excited for the playoffs. So I, I'm still a fan, but it's more of a casual fan. fair weather approach now, just because I've. I, I don't know. I, I just I've watched so many good Sharks teams just kind of kind of blow it in the playoffs. I don't know what's going on with them, but uh, they bat, brought back Marlowe just a couple of days ago. Joe Thornton left to the Maple Leaves. I don't know. They're they. It's just hard to 
to, you know, get invested into them in the season only to see them kind of let you down in the playoffs. But that's kind of the nature of it. The playoffs can be a crapshoot sometimes. Or in the case of the Sharks, it's a crapshoot all the time. It's kind of like they're the Dodgers of the NHL. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if they're that good, but they're, you know, they're, they're similar in terms of being disappointing. Oh, yeah. Sharks have definitely had great teams that just couldn't do it. I think about, you know, in baseball, like the Tigers, you know, the the 12 Giants took them out. And then the Rangers had a nice two-year World Series run. And again, the Giants in 2010. It must be nice seeing that team win every other year. Yeah, you know, I mean, I can't complain over those five years. Uh, If I knew they were going to win three and five, I would have probably been able to relax a little bit more. But Watching, especially the last World Series run, it was it was very, very uh, tough to watch and stressful to watch because they just they won because they they were just more fundamentally sound than another team and they took advantage of other teams' mistakes, but they weren't like necessarily like a you know it wasn't like a really strong roster that was built. It was just Madison Bumgarner going on an incredible run you know, timely hitting and good defense. And it kind of, you know, kind of reminds me of the Rays of this team this year. Um, Although the Rays have, you know, much better offense, but they, you know, there are some similarities in how fundamentally sound both teams uh, are and were. That that was a fun run to watch. The Flying Squirrels. So after the Giants won in 14, they had a replica World Series ring giveaway. So I had to get one of these. Oh, look, look at that bling. In fact, when I was with the Green Jackets, our clubhouse guy, Sarge, so his name was Christopher, but he was a drill sergeant, so that's why Sarge, but he had the legit yep. three World Series rings, and I got to hold those, and this one I have is definitely a replica. His had a nice weight to them. Do you get to many Giants, Niners, Warriors, Sharks games? Do you, do you get to go to a lot of games when fans are allowed and it's a normal season? Yeah, I mean, it's it's nice to get to a couple uh, every year. Um, it's obviously not being able to do it this year, but uh, I've used it kind of as an opportunity to meet up with friends and whatnot over the years. We'll just meet at, at, at the game, go to the public house, have a drink, and go watch the game. Probably go to about like four or five a year. Yeah, I went to a Giants-Nats game, and I think it was 14 but yeah, the Giants were a fun yeah. team to kind of watch. And I was interning with the, you yeah. know, with the minor league team. So it was fun to kind of keep an eye on, you know, check out that team. How did you start working with Augusta? I, I there, There's that gap in my history of you, I guess, that I don't know. So I, I graduated in 2013 and, and I had to have an internship before I graduated. So I ended up with the Squirrels. They're local to me. They're about 20 minutes away. Uh, and so Tom Denlinger and uh, Brandon Green, they were both with the squirrels. Uh, I think they were like in sales because I know sales is a huge, you know, for the management minor league baseball sales is where a lot of them come yeah. from. So, but yeah, so they actually ended up in, in Augusta. Tom became the GM and I think he's the president now and he took Brandon with him. And I think Brandon might be the GM now, but uh, anyway, I was, you know, I was, I was working with uh, State Farm and like, you know, like I said, I wanted to get back into baseball. So I um, left my job and my parents were awesome because they supported me. You know, like I I just didn't want to stay in insurance. That just wasn't for me. It was my first full time job out of school. So I was appreciative of it all, you know, and all that. But uh, it just wasn't really for me. So I I booked actually was set up to go to the winter meetings in Nashville in 2016. Or no, I guess it was it was late 2015. And uh you know, I had my trip set up and I was going to go and look for a job. You know, they had the whole job fair, but yeah. I actually ended up leaving my job and getting a phone interview with the Green Jackets a few days later. Um, around Thanksgiving, I had actually had like a Facebook post up talking about how I wanted to get back in sports and Tom had messaged me or commented and 
was like, what are you trying to do? You know, he was offering his help. And anyway, I ended up getting the interview with the Green Jackets. Yeah. And that was kind of that, you know, from there, I had a pretty good idea, but I didn't know for sure I'd get it. So yeah, so it was really cool to uh, end up there. So I was doing their media relations and marketing. And so um, yeah. yeah, I got to talk with guys like Sam Coonrod, I think it was like over Twitter DM, Aramis Garcia, I got to talk with Roberto Kelly. And I think he was mad because we were playing phone tag and we were, we were inducting him into our Hall of Fame. So I was doing like an interview with him and I finally got him. But yeah, I was, you know, I, I realized what I was good at, what I was not good at. And what I was not good at was Photoshop because we had to do our newsletters and yeah. like marketing materials. So I was able to get by. But uh, yeah, I liked the uh, the media side a lot. And I saw how crazy busy, you know, media and marketing are both basically their own jobs. And I was kind of in charge of both of them. So it was kind of a lot. But, you know, I had fun. And I was I was applying the sports jobs after the internship. You know, I, I had an interview with the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers and some other places. But I ended up not working in sports. And I'm good with that. I uh, I kind of like, like you. I like having it kind of as a side passion hobby. But cool. uh, I'm, I'm okay with not working full time in sports. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it seems like when you work for a minor league team, at least kind of my impression is that you're you're kind of a jack of all trades. You wear many hats. I mean, that's just the kind of the nature of it is uh, kind of what I've observed, I guess. Yeah, for sure. That's that's definitely it. So uh, so one last thing. I was trying to remember, how did we end up following each other on Twitter? Because you're like one of my favorite follows. <laughs> uh, it probably had something to do with like uh, Augusta related, like – you know, I probably, you or I probably tweeted about somebody who played for Augusta and ever since then, it's been like uh, peanut butter and peanut butter. Yeah, you're one of the people I know I can tweet something stupid at and you'll just go <laughs> along with it. <laughs> that's that's what I do. You know, as much as I do, Twitter can be toxic, but then it can be good coming across different people on there. Yeah, that, that's what I enjoy about Twitter as well. It's it's easy to get like tied up in in everything that goes on on a daily basis. I mean, we're getting news uh, as it happens. And then there's, there's always those quick um, kind of those quick uh, reactions that people have, but I, I enjoy the, the lighter side and kind of the humor that, that goes into it. Well, Jeff, thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on. It was fun. Yeah, cool. Thanks for uh, having me. Well, you can follow Jeff Young on Twitter at BaseballJeff1. You can catch him over at Around the Foghorn for Fansided. And as always, you can catch this podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn. As always, the intro outro song is by my guy, John Christian. And we will see you next time.